This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's a scary time. The numbers are not in our favor. 478 today, the biggest increase in cases since the beginning of May. It's getting colder, which means we won't be spending as much time outdoors. School is reopening and there are cases in school. There are cases in businesses. The government lowered the limits on gatherings last week and they are going to announce new measures later today. Meanwhile, we keep hearing about these hours long waits for testing. Uh, the key for all of us is what do we have to do to stay as safe as possible? as we enter this new phase, and nobody wants to go into that really severe lockdown. So let me give you the numbers because uh, I have the guys who are really in a position to answer all those questions. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dr. Andrew Morris, an infectious disease specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto, as well as Dr. Gerald Evans, Chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Kingston General Hospital. Thank you so much for being with us and welcome. Hello. Hi there. Thank Glad you. to be here. Okay. Uh, so here is my top of mind question. So I've been talking to business people, to people with kids in school, and top of mind for everyone is is... What happens if you have a business and someone tests positive? What then? Does everybody have to go home? Only some people? How how does it work, Dr. Morris? So, you know, each public health unit is providing specific guidance. But if someone tests positive, then the first thing that should happen is people who are uh, have been in contact with that person should um, immediately go into isolation and get testing. So because if they're in contact of a known case, then we still don't know that person's status. Okay. So then the question is, what is contact? If they were spaced at least six feet apart and wearing masks, is that contact or? Uh, Still for me? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, again, public health uh, has different guidance uh, regionally. But in general, if you have any kind of prolonged, certainly more than about 15 minutes um, exposure to someone, um, mass or unmasked, to be honest with you, in close proximity, then that would be a contact. But on top of that, because we know that exposures can occur, um, you know, over a prolonged period of time, regardless of the distance, if you're in, for example, a poorly ventilated workplace or classroom, then, again, those would be reasons. So, for example, uh, current guidance is that if uh, a child or a teacher tests positive, then that class also needs to get tested and be considered as being contact. And then do all their... uh, We'll move to Dr. Evans. Then do all their parents have to be tested as well? 
Uh, yeah, it's a great question, and the answer is no, actually. Uh, I, I would point out Dr. Morris is saying some very important points here, which I think are needed to be emphasized, which is that uh, we are really looking at a somewhat decentralized response here in Ontario. Public health units, as he said, are oftentimes setting out their own procedures and policies, um, and it's not, uh, how shall I say, consistent necessarily across the entire province. But around the issue of business exposures and things, it really depends on where you are. And the example I would use is uh, I run medic, uh, infection prevention control at a hospital. Um, you know, we have patients that would have COVID-19, and we're going to have people who are in contact. But with the measures we've put in place in a hospital environment with masking universally um, and all the other appropriate measures, in fact, even coming in contact with someone who is COVID-19, although I agree you need to be tested, the likelihood that you actually are going to get transmission is low. And that depends then on a business where maybe universal masking isn't the rule or something, in which case it actually, he got it right on, it's 15 minutes of exposure. Um, but if you have a mask on, uh, uh, otherwise, and you have a uh, fair consistency of physical distancing, then in fact, we would consider that a low-risk contact versus a high-risk contact, which would be without mass or physical distancing over that time exposure. So it is a little bit, there is a little bit of the devil in the details in understanding when you talk about a business, what that business is actually doing. And obviously, healthcare, uh, physician offices are going to be perhaps very much different from running a small business uh, and or even a larger business where, you know, you have a large number of employees in a, in a fixed area. So the one thing I I would like to emphasize is that, um, you know, if you are someone who is a contact with someone who's undergoing testing, you're not at that moment, moment needing to be isolated. And that's been, that's been one of the few consistent things across the issue. However, if that person now does test positive and you were a parent, say of a child, then you require testing much way Dr. Morris just mentioned that a contact of someone with COVID-19 needs to be tested. Okay, well that's a, I think a very important clarification that you don't have to get tested while someone you uh, have had some contact with is being tested. So here's again, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, there there's wiggle room. I mean, as a, for instance, uh, if uh, it's a a business and say people are 10 feet apart and masked some when they get closer to people, but never spend a whole 15 minutes together, but occasionally talk for a minute or two. I mean, is, is that a low, uh, is that, does that mean they have to get tested right away or is, is there wiggle room with that? So, well, I, oh, sorry, Andrew, go, go ahead. Yeah. Andrew, go no, ahead. I was going to say, so, First of all, that determination should be done by public health. Oh. Uh, it, it shouldn't be the workplace that makes the determination. It's uh, uh, your public health uh, officer who should be making that determination. And it's also important to understand that what you know we're tr- what we're trying to emphasize to people is as much as possible to reduce risk. And the way you reduce your risk, obviously, is to um, reduce your exposure to people, to reduce the duration of exposure to people, to increase the physical distance, and to mask. All those things, along with good hand hygiene, will uh, go a long way. But that is no guarantee. Short of staying away from other people, there's no guarantee that you're not going to be infected. And that's why those determinations and estimations of risk and who gets tested should be done by uh, experts from public health rather than people in the workplace making those decisions. Okay. Uh, Dr. Evans, so one of the things that's happening now, unfortunately, are these huge lineups 
for testing. And there's also this issue of, I don't think false, false positives are a huge issue, but false negatives are. So th- th- they're also saying, you know, you shouldn't go and get a test at the moment you think you might have been infected. But so what is the proper protocol on that? Right, right. So it's a very important point. So one of the things we know is if you're symptomatic with symptoms of COVID-19, whatever they might be, and you're tested, we know that a negative test has significant value. Uh, and uh, we would call that negative predictive value of about 95% or more. The problem comes in is asymptomatic individuals. If you have no symptoms, and especially if you have, you have had no contact with a COVID-19 case, then that increases the possibility that that negative test is not valid. It could be falsely negative. So what we've seen at our testing centers, and we've been examining very carefully what's going on here uh, in our region and particularly in Kingston, is um, there are people who are still coming for testing who are asymptomatic and have no risk contact. And really right now we have to dissuade those people from being tested because what we are seeing now is an upswing in testing of symptomatic individuals, principally children. But one of the problems that's also popped up is that when a child is needing testing because they've developed symptoms and the public health unit has determined that they will not let the child back uh, with, uh, unless they have a negative test or they would have to wait 14 days, what we're seeing is families are coming down with that child and the whole family wants to get tested. Now, nobody else in the family is symptomatic and that child probably doesn't have COVID-19. So again, um, we're trying to not create the circumstance where one single child who has symptoms results in the need to do four, five, or six tests because an entire family comes down. Because unless that child's test for COVID-19 is positive, there really isn't a requirement to be testing any of their family contacts. And that's really posing another problem with excess numbers appearing at assessment uh, centers. Okay, so I want to grab a call, but let let me just ask this again. Can do they have the right to be tested or if they stand in line with their kid and you can say the kid's getting the test, but you're not, are you, are you allowed to do that? No, in fact, what the assessment center staff are doing are saying, we can do a test on you, but it may not mean anything. And if your other child gets sick two days from now, you may all come be coming back here again to be tested again. So they are still testing asymptomatic individuals. Um, in lines with no contact because that was a provincial policy and the provinces still not rescinded that issue, but some provinces actually have. Okay, that's interesting. Let's take a call from Donna in Pickering. Hi, Donna. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much. I just wanted to make a comment with the numbers going up so high comparing them to the numbers that we had earlier in, like, March, we're testing far more people now. Wouldn't the numbers be expected to go relatively higher? Uh, Yeah, they would. But we're also not in lockdown. No, I I understand, but if you're testing four times as many people, even if, uh, like... Okay, yes, we'll let the doctor answer. Thanks, Donna. Go ahead, yeah, doctor. So this, is, this is the kind of argument that's been, been put forward by others who just say, oh, we're testing lots of people, so we're finding more cases. The fact of the matter is we're, we look at the testing increase numbers, and we look at the increased number in cases in terms of the percentage of each, and the number of positive cases is rising faster than the percentage of, of more tests being done each day. And so it's, is it's the, the number is doubling in, in a certain amount of time? Is that right? 
Yes. And, and I, I think I'd also point out that we know from other indicators, for example, uh, hospital admissions, ICU admissions, that we're seeing an increase. So this isn't just a testing phenomenon, but it's actually having uh, down, real downstream effects to uh, people in our community who are ending up in the hospitals. And the other thing I will also point out is we're still not testing as many people as we need to be testing in some ways. So we're definitely over-testing people who shouldn't be tested. But because many testing centers are turning people away, we're almost certainly missing people who are symptomatic and are likely infected. Okay, those are some very important points because, uh, uh, you know, I, I... Hear from people who are trying to downplay this a lot, and uh, you know, I, I'm not happy to hear about that. I will be very straightforward about that. I'm going to take a call from Hope in Coburg, who has a question for Dr. Morris. Hello, Hope. Yes, hello. Uh, I'm coming from Coburg to Mount Sinai Eye Clinic on Murray Street, and I'm coming on expensive wheel trans. So what am I facing? What is protocol when I get to the Murray Street building? I called the clinic and I've gotten no answer. So what do uh, I do when I get there? Um, I'm actually not directly affiliated with that eye clinic, um, which is separate from the hospital building. Yes. Um, but uh, you should be able to, first of all, the Mount Sinai Hospital website or Sinai Health website. I don't have a computer because I'm blind. <laughs> Oh, um, of course. My apologies. I, I, I might be able to help you, Hope, because, okay. uh, and this is not the eye clinic, which is separate, but I, I, I had a CT scan last week at Princess Margaret, which is uh, not Sinai Health, but University Health Network, and I think it's all the same. So what happened was that as soon as you walk through the door, you are in line uh, for screeners with a questionnaire when you, uh, you're masked, of course, when you go in. Yes. And uh, they ask you the questions, and uh, if you answer them to their satisfaction, they send you up to where you're going. You'll see in whatever waiting room there is that it's socially distanced, uh, that that a lot of the seats are blocked out. Uh, they might have an additional waiting thing, and then you'll do your test. And I don't know, it may or may not take a little longer because uh, I don't know why, but um, th- that's basically it if the eye clinic is the same. Did I answer well, uh, Dr. Morris? Yeah, I, I, th- I think so. And almost all our services that we provide um, are certainly uh, geared for people of uh, all uh, different needs, and they should be able to process you. It, again, it'll be questions. You won't need to be swabbed or tested almost certainly. And uh, the main thing is that they'll make sure that you remain uh, physically distant from it anywhere else awaiting your appointment. Are there less people? Uh, less patients? I, I don't know if there yeah. are less than there were before, but they are socially distanced. There are certainly less in the waiting room. So, all all, all health care services that are being provided now everywhere are uh, done to ensure that um, both uh, patients and staff are as safe as possible and avoid, uh, you know, crowding, people being in close quarters, unless absolutely necessary for patient care. Okay, Hope, thanks for your call. Good luck with that. Yeah, Libby, uh, it's Gerald Evans here. I'd just chip in that, that you know, we're, 
We have a number of uh, setups here. Typically, what's happening with outpatient visits now to clinics is that we're, uh, patient uh, volumes are down 50% from what they were to ensure exactly what uh, you and Dr. Morris were talking about, which is this physical distancing measures. And we also here in Kingston, and I'm sure it's happening at Sinai Health and others, is if someone arrives uh, after the questions and they require some assistance to go up to the clinic uh, area to that waiting room, that'll be provided by um, uh, other staff that we have at the screening entrance. Uh, yeah, and uh, so that brings another question. You know, uh, we've just started to clear the backlog. So what does all of this mean for the people who are waiting for their hip replacements, people who have been waiting for other elective surgery or so-called elective surgery? Well, I think that that's where one of the challenges lies. Uh, even if we weren't facing the rising numbers, which are showing us the beginning of the second wave, uh, we are already well behind uh, the normal kind of care that we were providing before COVID-19 came. And I know there's an earnest effort being made at, at many tables to try and see what can be done to try and increase the ability to get procedures and other visits that have been put off and canceled because of COVID-19. But it's going to take the healthcare system quite a while to get that backlog um, addressed. And right now, I think my colleagues in various specialties and areas uh, of medical practice are doing their best to address those that need the most urgent consideration for, say, a surgical procedure or some sort of treatment, uh, and then trying to catch up with the backlog there. But you've addressed, you, you know, you're talking about a, a problem which I think uh, Dr. Morris and I would both agree has been a particularly challenging one with this. And, Absolutely. And- yeah, the, the other question I have is, is a bit personal. I bet other people have the question. So, uh, I've been avoiding things that are a little optional. Like normally I see a chiropractor a lot. I haven't seen him in ages. And then I'm thinking, you know, maybe I better see him before this second wave gets worse. Uh, um, and you know, these people also have to make a living. Is, 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 is am, am I thinking the right way? You know, well, certainly, yeah, certainly consideration. I, I would say that doc, Dr. Morris and I, who are both on Twitter, uh, have seen a number of our colleagues say, I think I'm going to give a haircut this week. So just to give you a, a sort of an idea of what physicians are thinking. A haircut because they think in a couple of weeks they won't be able to. Yeah, that is yeah. a possibility. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and um, do you have any sense from the trajectory of the numbers at, at what point it's really going to get really bad? Or out of hand. So, I, I think what is out of hand is relative, and it's not a. There's no simple answer to that question, because there are so many things that um, need to be working properly for us to be in full control. I think we can comfortably say we're not fully in control right now. If we were fully in control, we wouldn't be seeing the cases rise. The, the real question, of course, is. Uh, how long can we allow this to continue without action um, or new action? And what are the um, benefits and trade-offs of, of taking further action? And those are they're not simple answers, right? Uh, keeping schools open is clearly a high priority. But in, in addition to that, uh, keeping an economy rolling is also a priority for many people. And I think many of us uh, are somewhere in a very broad spectrum of whether we think the, pri- the primary concern should be uh, shutting things down as much as possible to the bare essentials to allow us to get more control, or really taking uh, focused attempts to improve change and hope that we'll reap the rewards of that those approaches 
sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody is expecting a lockdown. Uh, We only have a few seconds left here. Uh, Dr. Evans, is there any jurisdiction or another country where you see a direct parallel where you can look at them and, and see our future or not so much? Well, I think so. I think I can look at some of the European countries, France, Spain, Austria, that have been publishing data showing that the herald of a second wave is exactly what we have been seeing for the last few weeks, which is a an increased circulation of the virus in young people in the age, uh, the 20-year-old age group, uh, and then it emerges out into the general population, and it eventually gets into the part of the population which is going to be most adversely affected by it, that is our elderly um, uh, uh, fellow citizens who end up in hospital and, of course, uh, can die. But I would certainly echo Dr. Morris's comments that this is uh, what is referred to as a wicked problem. There are no easy solutions. Having said that, I also agree. Schools are a priority, and, and in my view, if this is my opinion, bars are not. So there are certain actions that can be taken now, I think, to help close certain sectors or at least limit those sectors, which we know are resulting in transmission, so that we can maintain schools open and kids going to school. And that's all part of generating and keeping that economy going. But at the same time, he's absolutely right. We need to do something because we are at the beginning of this second wave. Uh, Dr. Morris, you get the last 20 seconds. Yeah, you know, I I would probably uh, go a little bit further than Dr. Evans and say that um, almost all uh, really non-essential congregate uh, settings should be uh, reduced as much as possible. So I'd be uh, getting rid of the the religious gatherings, the indoor dining, etc., and really bring it back to the bare bones because... uh, I think what we're seeing is our testing system can't handle this and our public health contact tracing is increasingly challenged. And if we can't um, identify accurately contacts of new cases, uh, this will continue to grow endlessly. Okay. Uh, On that somber note, I'm going to have to wrap things up. We're obviously going to be totally on top of this topic, so stay tuned. In the meantime, this was great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Morris and Dr. Gerald Evans. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.